going on down there? Hi everyone, welcome to the podcast we're doing, which is not a nightmare, it's actually a dream, because we're going to talk about Transformers cartoons today. Aaron, we got a Transformers cartoon to talk about. Yeah. And we're not coming in like with the Netflix ones, we're like, oh, we got a Transformers cartoon to talk about. Like, we actually have, have like a, I have a skip to my step as I'm coming into the podcast studio here. Studio. <clears throat> Uh, DJ, uh, we, we got a, a cartoon that was maybe even, was it on television in another country? Or was it, no, it was just permanent. We got a Transformers cartoon that was on a streaming service run by a company that has put things on television. Oh no, it's airing on I mean, Nickelodeon too. It's on, yeah, it's on Nickelodeon. This intro does not have a whole lot of research behind it. You know what? That's not my fault. I'm actually going to say that's their fault. <laughs> Uh, Transformers Earthspark is the subject of today's podcast. Uh, we have ten episodes to talk about, which are viewable legally, um, in certain forms and places. I'm actually not sure what the state of the whole- I think the whole thing is on Paramount Plus International now, but that was kind of weird on launch day, as I recall. Um, weird enough that I, uh, you know, I went- I, I got in contact with a contact- because I was worried that it would be, I'll have two episodes to watch for months if I sign up for the service, so I, I better go check with some people. Anyway, I sorted it out. <clears throat> but um, before we get into, we're going to be spoiling a whole lot of it, because I don't want to section things too much. But before we before we do the spoilers, just for the sake of everyone who somehow turned this on, but don't, don't, don't want to hear spoilers about it. The Brief Capsule. Uh, if we had a sentence to describe our experience watching this, just off the top of your head, no preparation. Uh, TJ, Transformers Earthspark, how did it make you feel? Um, one word? Uh, one sentence is fine. One sentence. Uh, optimistic that we're getting a Transformer story that is fresh and doing something different that, you know, almost 40 years of story has not done before. I would not disagree. Aaron, uh, how are you feeling about Transformers Earth Spark just in a, in a spoilerless sentence? Uh... TJ hit it pretty smack on the head. Uh, I, I'm super. I, I enjoyed it as it was. I there were a ton of hidden nods here, there, and everywhere. And I super duper hope that this actually gets a series of seasons and not just the second half of it released and then it goes away because reasons. Animations in a Netflix of, yeah, well, any 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 series right now seems to be in super weird places. You know, Netflix is getting very bad about. uh, Oh wow, these three seasons did gangbusters, and now they want to renegotiate a contract for more money. Oh, I guess we're not renewing it off. Oh, they might get residuals. Oh, Oh, we gotta stop. Oh, residuals. That sounds like it's more money that we'd have to pay out for doing basically nothing. You should be doing this for the for the passion of it. You want to be paid. Yeah. Think of the exposure of being on Netflix. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I know. It's one of the, the one of the streaming services of the internet. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, it's it's really hard to, like, think ahead about any animated piece right now. 
um, unfortunately. But uh, my, my, my one sentencer would be, it is really lovely to be able to uh, have an opinion on a Transformers cartoon with production value behind it. Um, again. Uh, and and I'll, I'll, I'll caption that with the footnote. I really like Cyberverse, and Cyberverse was fighting against a lack of production value, I feel, and did amazing stuff. And knowing that some of the folks who worked on that are working on this, but they have, like, a bit of extra money to do things, you can, like, feel it, and it's really pleasant. Uh, anyway, we're, we're going to start spoiling things, so, you know, that's your warning. Uh, I didn't want to go, like, episode by episode. I want to do our usual thing we tend to do now, just kind of hot potato around of, like, of like things we felt. I thought just to, you know, because because we got we to gotta get this out up front, uh, I have two catastrophic criticisms to drop on the show, two ruinous criticisms. I got, I'm going to own this show right now, here and now. Are you guys ready for this? Hang, hang sure. on, l- l- let me let me like elevate my, the back of my seat real quick. Okay, okay, all right, all right. Brace. Gonna... Okay, no, crit- criticism, uh, uh, stone cold criticism number one. Swindle's head has a round top. What the hell? It's screwed up in his weirdness. Not natural. Swindle should have a square top head. Uh, number two. We gotta stop with the frigging Wilhelm scream, please. Please, can we stop with the Wilhelm scream? I'm so tired of the Wilhelm scream. When I hear it, I don't chuckle anymore. I just think, oh no, that's someone who feels like they're supposed to do that. We, we all know what the Wilhelm scream is now. It's it's like putting a drop of mustard in a in a in a scoop of ice cream, my man. Like you, you, we got to stop with the Wilhelm scream. There's a Wilhelm scream in Earth Spark, and I I know it is because I heard it, and I couldn't pay attention for thirty seconds because I was thinking about the Wilhelm scream again. Anyway, those are the two biggest problems with the show, uh, in my opinion, uh, which is fact. But uh, I had to get those off my chest. Um, Anyway, I don't know if you guys have an opinion on, on Swindle Heads. It's just, uh, the Swin- Swindle had such, like, a good role and visual design that, like, I was like, it's super weird that we're going with the alternator mohawk thing on him when, like, everything else about this Swindle feels like he should have a big square head. Like, he's even got big eyes, but then he's got, like, this, you know, domey top. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, so, d- d- do you want the secret? You want the What's secret? What's the secret? What's the secret? Uh... Secret is that he is loosely based on the Cybertron toy, which is why he's partnered with his brother Hardtop, and that toy was round-headed. Biting my lower lip and snarling. <laughs> I get I, it. I believe this is where we say fake fan. Yeah. I'm... I I'm, I I didn't, I, know, I didn't know that, but I wasn't talking I wasn't talking <laughs> trash about it. So I I mean, like I said, there's alternator swindle. There's war for Cybertron. There are swindles with round top heads. I'm just like when you go big eyes on swindle, I'm like big eyes, but round top head feels so weird to me now. Uh, like I associate big eye swindle with big brick head swindle. Uh, and uh, also, I was like, I should have like something I'm really vehemently criticizing the show about, just so people don't say it's I'm love bombing because I actually really like the show a lot. And uh, I, I like it, even though um, another criticism I've seen is there. there's a lot of slice of life in this show. But, like, boy, howdy, it's like the most justifiable slice of life in all of Transformers, in my opinion. <laughs> uh, yeah. It, it's it's a difference of, like, this is how Transformers on Earth kind of deals with family life outside of, like, the only other 
time we've gotten that was like the live action movies where chaos and militaries tend to erupt over it. And we're, where it's, it's not yeah. more like this. Yeah, it's more like this is a constant military action going on. This is like, no, 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 no. Like this, this is down to earth. This is like, feels like a more like natural step to me. Yeah, and you know it, it's fine for it to bounce off you because it, it's a tone. But like, I, I just feel like it felt mm. so right to me. Just given that, you know, some of our main Transformers are literally the Terrans who have been adopted by the family we're having Slice of Life with. I was like, this feels... this Like, if anything, the Slice of Life did more for the robots than the human characters, I feel. But that that's really about the worst I could say about it. Other than it was also, you know, Slice of Life where there wasn't big action taking place. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. Like, do, um, did, did either of you have, have any uh, major critiques on your mind or anything that, like, you saw that, like, you, you were thinking about afterwards? Um, obviously, there are some real cartoonish critiques flying around YouTube, but, like, they are they are beneath my notice. Uh... <laughs> I'm going to say, granted, it's been, like, we watched it the day it released or the day after it released, so it's been a little bit uh, to time of this recording. But I do, I really do wish that Prime just had a faceplate. I think there were <laughs> more than a few moments where it was like, that's that's robot, like robot mouth and teeth there or something along those lines. I remember there being some face, like lower face, not necessarily ickiness, but like that's, it's not quite there. It's not quite right. Optimus Prime has a look and that's his look and uh type of moments of, uh, of like crits this is this is gonna be weird so prime's mouth didn't hit me so bad i think partly because they are playing him as awkward dad prime and somehow it like it gels for me but there are two mouths that actually made me feel weird uh one of them was swindles and the other one was uh alex maltos the dad uh for whatever reason their mouths looked tiny to me i don't know how else to put it <laughs> And, like, okay. I, whenever they were talking, I was just like, how are you getting noises out of those tiny, tiny little mouths? Those teeny, teeny, tiny little lips barely opening and all this voice coming out. I don't know why. It's something about their designs. They just both felt like they had tiny, tiny, tiny mouths. And, uh... You know, <laughs> I, I think with Primes, for me, it's the fact that he has, like, like his cheekbones are set up for the faceplate. So then he has, like, a weird undercut underneath his cheekbones but then he's got like a big jawline it's it's like if his whole face was like the the giga chad type of face it may not be quite as bad but it's like <laughs> these things that don't quite line up and then the the helmet vents it's it's just it it's like it's wanting to do three different things and really they should have stopped it too uh i'm <laughs> I'm enjoying the viscerality of that description. <laughs> uh, I, I'm I'm happy sorry. it's not just me that's like weirded out a little bit by Alex. There's something about the animation, like in his facial expressions, that seems like a little stiff compared to everybody else. Yes. Okay. It, yeah, it, I felt the same. Yeah. Is it like it's maybe not like rigged as well, like in the animation side? I I don't think he's poorly. I don't think he's poorly rigged as much as his, how do you put this? The shape of his head hides a lot of his subtle movements, and he kind of has this, like, mouth on an egg kind of 
look sometimes. It's just weird because <laughs> it is not a problem across the show. It, it, there's something, there is something about Alex's face specifically that like always has this like kind of oddness to it. Like I remember it in the preview, I felt like, um, oh, who was it? Uh, Mo had like kind of oddly large eyes. I didn't feel that at all when I was finally like, I, I did a binge watch of this thing basically. And I, I didn't feel that when I was watching through it. Like I was like, no, nah, she's normal. And her, her brother's normal. Like they, they're fine. So it is, it was Alex's face and specifically his mouth that felt weird and stiff to me. And I, yeah, maybe, maybe there's just something odd about it. Cause when I watched the story, the animatic storyboard for the big action sequence from episode nine, that was put up on Twitter, uh, and then I watched that scene again. I was like, Alex looks better in this scene. And also, it made me realize that Dot, uh, Dorothy, ha- often looked really good in motion as well. So yeah, there's just something odd about Alex's model. Uh, and yeah, I, I'm feeling really good. <laughs> like when you when you mentioned it, uh, uh, TJ, I was like, okay, so it's not just me. Because everything no. else in this worked for me. Like even, even Prime's funny, weird, funny lip jaw face kind of worked for me partly because of alan tudyk i think i don't know why but like yeah alex it's, like... it's 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 just something a little bit off-putting that the most robotic one in the show is alex mm-hmm. yeah and and then i felt like uh even then like there were moments where he didn't have it which is what made me keep thinking about the moments where i saw it like when he's busting out the Kali sticks and being rather much a badass <laughs> just like destroying a bunch of arachnomex mm-hmm. with two sticks i was like okay this is like this is looking really good it's just when he's like just giving exposition and talking like sometimes his face it's his face that just gets weird like it's like the the mouth doesn't match the rest of him uh <laughs> anyway uh do, do not let it be said that we had we had uh, only good things to say about the show we got a lot of opinions on optimus prime and how both dads have funny mouths we can, you can quote us on that. <laughs> One has a uh, funny mouth. The other has a mouth. Both are problems. Yeah. I, <laughs> the Optimus... Yeah, the Optimus thing... I don't know why. It's It was partly the scene when he's giving the guided tour of the underground base to Dorothy. Uh, and it was just some... Again, some uh, classic uh, Alan Tudyk-level performance going on. I was like, I'm... I'm starting to headcanon it slightly that the mouth is something he added in the last 30 years to try to be more approachable. And the fact that it is kind of freaky makes it work more for me. Cause I'm like, this feels like something this Optimus Prime would have done to try to be helpful. And no one has, has it in them to tell him that he has too much jaw and that it's really weird. <laughs> and he needs to stop. <laughs> uh, but speaking of Optimus Prime, let's talk a bit about Optimus Prime, because we've got a new Optimus Prime voice actor. we got Alan Tudyk, who is doing um, somewhere between a, a Peter Cullen and a Jake Foshi, which is admittedly a really weird kind of thing to say. But I feel that does describe really well what he's doing, and without it being a... Uh, it's it's a non-derogatory when I say that. Uh, he, is, he is really nailing a classic 80s superhero Optimus Prime who has won and is now a very awkward older dad. Um, and so, something about it really worked for me, especially when he would get into the snarl here and there, uh, because there, there's, there's a lot of stuff about this Optimus Prime that is, that is, uh, it is odd. Um, the, the relationship he has with, uh, with Ghost, uh, the relationship he has with Megatron, uh, the way that he's, he's happy to hide the Terrans, but also 
wants to keep working with Ghost and is just going to do like this sort of, I just won't tell them about you. And then eventually you see that he also maybe hasn't been telling people about the giant Decepticon gulag that he has underground. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. There's a whole lot about this Optimus that I, I'm I'm kind of into, um, which could fall flat depending on how they carry it out. But I think whatever they do, Alan Tudyk will make it palatable at least because he has proven very much in the last, like I'd say, five six years, that he is a voiceover force to be reckoned with, uh, and and he's bringing his A game uh, to the show, in my opinion. Um, Aaron, how are you feeling about uh, our Earth Spark Optimus? Uh, I mean, I, I feel like he's hit every note. Um, I, I think Alan is Mr. Tudyk is, is, he, he's got, I think, you know, the, that range of voice right, right where this Optimus Prime needs to be. Hmm. Yeah. You know, it's the, the little bit of protector, little bit of like hey i'm being a public face type of guy and from there like trying to do what he can do along the way you know some of the interactions i think it was with with megatron as their buddy buddy um definitely made it feel like felt like something something that makes sense as prime but is like different. I'm trying to think of how to phrase that well. It's it's a lot of the vibe you got, I think, from uh, that you would get from Cyberverse Optimus once they started writing for him to be his own character. Like this, that you know, there's mm-hmm. an Optimus Prime, the the mythology, and then there's also Optimus Prime, the person for, who has to try to do that mythology. And in the, in the Jake Foshi Cyberverse one, there was a little bit of the, like, and I don't really want to be doing this with the Alan Tudyk one. There is this genuine heartfelt eagerness, uh, to the point where I see the Decepticon gulag and I'm even going like, you know, I bet he thinks this is a good idea. I bet, <laughs> I bet he thinks this is probably for the best. This is a really bad idea. Oh, wow. But I don't think that there's any malice to what he's doing. I, <laughs> this is going to end horribly, uh, but yeah, um, I, I think Alan Tudyk is a necessary part of that that equation. Uh, TJ, how about you? How are you feeling about Earth Spark Optimus? So, I will admit, I'm still kind of getting used to the Alan Tudyk voice. Uh, it's not a bad take on Prime. Nothing saying that. It's just it is a different take, and my brain is still wrapping around it a little bit. Uh, Portrayal-wise, it hits me in this really nice way that I've really wanted Prime to be in again. Uh, I I think a lot of depictions lately, especially after the live-action movies, gets a little bit too carried away with the action hero Optimus Prime. Like, even... Man, I I would even say even before then in the Unicron trilogy where, like, Prime was just this, like, serious general figure... uh, it kind of loses some of the humanity he had before. Like I look, mm. I'd like, I, I think back to episodes like in, like in G1, there's literally an episode where Spike is trying to teach the Autobots basketball and Optimus is just thoroughly into it. Mm-hmm. You know, like, like just aside from just trying to watch him, like acclimate to the game and trying to use like earth terminology while he play, while he plays, he doesn't say, 
think fast when he passes the ball. He says, compute quickly. And then later in the episode, you get to see, like, it cuts back to him, like, and he's just, like, got his feet kicked up on Teletran 1, and he's practicing spinning the ball on his finger. Like, yeah, there's a playfulness to the original depiction of Optimus Prime that shows that he actually has a lot more to him than just military leader, action hero type that I feel got lost in a lot of depictions of him that I'm seeing here again, where he's, you know, he, he's trying to crack jokes as a public speaker. You know, he's trying to be uh, more, you know, like just like more down to earth, more even diplomatic. I think it was a great way to set the tone of this Optimus Prime in the very in his very first scene where he rolls up on hardtop and swindle and he doesn't go in guns blazing. He's trying to talk him down first and foremost. Mm -hmm. That alone is a Mm. fantastic shift. Yeah, Uh, it's like it's a good I think it's a really good way to get across that this is an Optimus who's like, I I won like the, the art, this whole thing, it's done. We got, <laughs> we got to figure something else out. Uh, uh, like the, like you can tell that he's been like, especially once you see the gulag, it's like, Oh, okay, you've, you've been up to this for quite a while. Uh, probably if you didn't have a giant gulag, maybe more of them would be listening to you, but you've been up to this for quite a while. <laughs> uh, cause I, I mean, you got to imagine the Decepticons who are left on earth are just like, wow, we keep just disappearing. Whenever we talk to this guy, uh, I guess we're, he's just killing us all. Uh, and it's like, no, no, he's not. He's just keeping you all locked up in tiny boxes. Um, but yeah, the I mean, uh, or go ahead. we we do the same thing. Admittedly. We do. We do. I. That's why I'm hoping. I'm really hoping that like um, my like in, this is sort of a long term vision that and it's it's not. I don't think it's unreasonable, and I'll be fine if they don't. But I would love it if it really ends up being like we're gonna have. We're going to have uh, Mr. Mandroid and Ghost as, like, the ultimate antagonists of this whole thing. I, I know I've seen people going, like, oh, what if uh, Ghost is being, you know, what if it's being controlled by someone? Or what if uh, what if it's Unicron? Or, oh, what if Megatron gets so mad he becomes the villain? And I'm like, the the worst thing we could do is is go, like, you know what, Optimus? Also, everything he did, turns out, was the right decision. Uh, like, it has to be a house of cards that comes down. Because th- the way that this Optimus has been delivered to us so far, I want to see how his sincerity and well-meaning... Um, uh, reacts to everything falling apart. Uh, I think that's that's sort of an inevitable part of this little arc he's on, uh, and I, I I'm hoping that that's where we go with some of this. Uh, I don't want to be the villain. I just want to I want to see him go like, wow, I I really screwed up, and I was really trying hard. I want to feel bad for him. Uh, and also I yeah I, I also TJ I agree with you that like this is a a nice amount of humanity to him as well. Something that I've, I've been thinking about off and on because it comes up a lot, right? It's like, Oh, well, what if, why didn't they get Peter Cullen to do this performance? And honestly, I, was, I thought about it and I was like the moment for Peter Cullen to have done this for a series full on was about 10 years ago when he briefly did it as amnesiac Orion packs and transformers prime. Uh, and then every voice direction he ever got since then was anything but this. And like, I'm not, I'm just not sure if he's got like enough energy <laughs> left to like you have to I think you really have to go 110% in on this the way I feel Alan Tudyk is uh to to be a feature character in this as opposed to an Optimus Prime who just sort of comes in and lingers here and there for an episode or two uh drops the lines etc um 
I, I really wish we had gotten something like this longer in Transformers Prime, because that was another thing I thought about when watching this, was the the Optimus Prime uh, who isn't having to drop the, the 86 movie quotes all the time. Um, anyway, yeah. I, also, his, you know, his design is very Optimus Prime. Um, mouth aside. <laughs> uh, cheek, or I guess less mouth, more cheekbones aside. Uh, yeah. And uh, bouncing off that, just, just to cover the other major 80s character that's that's on people's minds. But also one I, I feel really shone in this. We got Megatron. Uh, portrayed by Rory McCann, who I could listen to him say Dorothy uh, as many times as he needs to. And he said something about the way Rory McCann drops Dorothy's name is is uh, just delightful to my ears. Uh, makes me really happy. Um, they, uh, you know, there, there is a, a design reference sheet that was uh, shared where literally the two the two references for the for the the inspirations listed for the robot modes are G One Megatron and Alex Milne's. Autobot Megatron. Like those are the literal inspirations. Uh it's a very it's a very interesting take to put into a children's cartoon of a post uh supervillain Megatron. Uh we're well overdue for it in cartoons. We've had bits and pieces of it in cartoons, but never never this far. Prime sort of dropped it at the very last minute. Cyberverse had it for a little bit, um, but it also ended very badly for him. Uh, I enjoy this Megatron. The only thing about this Megatron is that, like, there's a lot of backstory alluded to where currently Optimus Prime is sort of doing some war crimes. Uh, but there there is a lot of allusion to the notion that Megatron's Decepticons did something pretty bad as well. Balanced with the part where Dorothy and he are definitely, like, good friends now. I've, I am certain they, they've got that all, like, written down in the story bible. We're, we're gonna have some big flashback episode or something, but I am, I am super curious about how that turned out, because as it is, he is a very welcome member of this cast, really enjoyable uh, to watch interacting, not just with Optimus, but with a lot of the other characters. Um, and uh, again, uh, TJ, you mentioned this too, like, for animation, it's pretty fresh. I I should throw in here, I just realized, Machinima kind of did this too. It's just like, I don't think Machinima did it in a way that one could call, like, um, smooth, well-executed. <laughs> anyway, uh, <laughs> uh, TJ, um, how are you feeling about uh, Earthspark Megatron? I'm really interested to see where he goes. That's another one where my brain is right. Because, like, I was ready for, like, heroic Megatron. Like, I was ready for, like, like the post-war, uh, like, picking up the pieces Megatron. I was not ready for Nice Guy Megatron. I was not ready for... I've, I'm have i in a text chat with Optimus Prime and my human bestie Megatron. Like, yeah. He has a human bestie. In fact, that yes. is... I, I feel like a seed laid down is that in so if something goes real bad in this story, the only person Megatron will actually go out of his way to protect is probably Dorothy. Uh, it feels like. Potentially, yeah. It's one of those things where my brain is always waiting for it. Like, we do have an episode of the first end that teases a lot of tension between him and Prime over how the Decepticons are being treated. Uh, yeah, I mean, so there's there's hints of, like, a direction they could go. I don't 
think I want them to. Because I'm having I'm having mm. too much fun with this Megatron. Like between like watch it like watching him mid training session telling Bumblebee like his leadership style, which involved apparently twisting heads off. And just like it's just a casual phone call. Okay. Uh, just I'm intrigued because it's a direction we haven't seen. Like even more so than what they did in Lost Light, it is a very different Megatron, and it's one of those situations where I don't know what direction they're going with him. If there's a breaking mm-hmm. point, or if it's just you know a, a tension they're gonna uh, tease us with for a while. You know, it it's intriguing. Is what it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, yeah. Like, like I mentioned before, I, the one thing I hope they don't do is just go and like, how do we make Mega? Like, I don't think they will. I just I've seen other people saying, oh, I can't wait for Megatron to go bad again. And I'm like, dog, like, like media literacy though. Like how how would that remotely so- happen <laughs> in, in, in this story uh, without so, it being like really but- badly forced. When it was when we got a scene inside that training camp center, that that like the training like danger room for Megatron, is it just me? Like they had that they had this holographic human at the very end of the course. Was it just me that wasn't convinced that actually like saving the human was how to clear the mission? <laughs> I hadn't thought about that. There's <laughs> just a just a part of me in the back of my head is like wait. This is Megatron's personal training course. Um, are we sure he's not just trying to get a clear shot? Um, <laughs> I feel yeah that that was that that uh, danger room place was definitely a thing that was that had an odd uh, odd turn to, I guess. I, yeah, I felt I felt like um, it was the goal is shoot everything shooting at me, but I also got to look out for humans. So like, I'll put one up there. Uh, and I will try not to shoot it. <laughs> That's kind of the vibe I got. But uh, Aaron, how are you feeling about uh, Earth Spark Megatron? I'm really looking forward to uh, the moment where we get that backstory of because I mean we got a little bit of of Prime Sam like getting rid of the space bridge to say like hey this is where we've got to be now and Megatron. It seemed like, at least in in the bits that that I I can remember of this, as Megatron was like, "Oh yeah, okay, I guess we can, we do." Um, versus, I I feel like they're really that there's potentially a story in there about um, like Megatron having to bring himself around to it, and and that is something that I think has a lot of of potential of. You know, the flashback story to, you know, him working with, with, um, oh, I forget her name already. Robbie? No. Uh, Dorothy. Dorothy. Um, your dot. Yeah. You know, getting, you know, seeing where that relationship kind of comes together you know see that see see that bit of flashback to see why they work together so well because it's one thing to be like yeah we know that the relationships exist before the the show you know that that that's what we're saying coming into it but at the same time 
some of them feel like maybe you know go back and show us how we've earned that now we do keep in mind that the only way we've heard that so far was alex's like you know like bedtime story essentially of what happened and it does sound like a very gloss it's very glossed over and it sounds like Mm -hmm. megatron like started to agree with prime way too quick so you know the real story's way more complicated than that yeah yeah there's definitely a a real story to it that's the you know that is the the bedtime story that you you tell the kids versus the like so here's what the real story was megatron killed like eight people just because and and then we had to pull him off of the 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 ninth one you know yeah there's some androids if i'm gonna draw like my lost the arm if I'm going to draw, like, my red strings, right, there's there's a couple things that, like, I kind of like how they don't necessarily line up. Because Megatron and Dorothy have some kind of closeness going back to when she was in the military. However, there was also some incident, the Battle of the Bay, right? Uh, mm-hmm. and if, I, if I remember correctly, that is, or at least as a, as a result of either the Battle of the Bay or some immediate aftermath, that is how Dorothy lost her leg. However, mm-hmm. she and Megatron are extremely close, so the, like, the the easy way it would fit together is like, oh, yeah, like she's got some secret, some kind of resentment towards, you know, something because she lost her leg at this great battle. The Battle of the Bay sounds like that's where some line was crossed. But then, like, she and Megatron are the tightest of friends. And it's like, so it couldn't have been like or maybe I'm going to say it couldn't have been, but maybe like something happened that the Decepticons did, but perhaps not Megatron. And like mm-hmm. maybe there was some kind of internal strife, perhaps Starscream did something, crossed a line. Someone else crossed a line, and like th- that's why the Gulag is there. But like that Megatron, as the figurehead, told them to stop, and that is maybe what brokered that peace. Because also Optimus mentioned, what was it like? He's been working with Ghost for thirty years, but Megatron's only been working with them for fifteen years, and so like there's this fifteen year gap. Uh, it's very interesting the way that they trickled some of that stuff in. Like I, I enjoyed it. Like knowing obviously that there's at least an, another batch of episodes coming. Um, but yeah, it, it's a really cool way to build up. Uh, it's my favorite word to do something a little bit of world building here and there with characters interacting and and getting to spend time with those characters and just watching them bounce off each other. That's also why I like the slice of life stuff so much. Is because I, I ended up enjoying <clears throat> being able to just spend time with with all of these characters. Um, and uh, just to kind of keep keep flowing from there, Aaron. Um, maybe we can start doing the thing. Like, is there just like a is there a character? Is there a moment that's kind of been on your mind about the show that you want to talk about? Oh, there's all sorts of moments. Um, I, I'm I'm trying to go through and think of of if there's anything that really pops. I like how the alt modes for the the um, Terrans came about. Um, and, and even just the, the Terrans being like infant transformers kind of in a way, you know, it's at, you know, that, cause I think both of them just seem to like have transformation down at the beginning and yeah, okay, fine. That's cool. Um, but then like later on it was like, oh no, wait a second. I, uh, I gotta, I gotta be in my happy place in order to make it work or, or, you know, how that kind of sorted out. And across the, 
was that just one episode or kind of across a couple of episodes? I think that was kind of across a couple episodes. Yeah, I think it was like focused on in, in like the school one, but I think it had been like there had been little bits of it here and there. Like the first training episode with Bumblebee, mm-hmm. like they were, was it like Twitch was like, oh yeah, I could transform. And then like, wait, why? Oh no, now I'm thinking about it. I can't do it. You know, like, uh, it, it, was, it was too conscious, the, the attempt. Uh, it was interesting too, mm-hmm. just to like have it verbalized like that by Transformers. Um, to, you know, to, to sort of just describe like, you know, in the moment, in the heat of the action. Yeah. I turn into a little drone and fly around. But when you go like, Hey, just turn into a drone. Like, yeah, I can do that. No, I can't. No, I'm thinking about it too much. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I enjoyed that. Um, actually, I guess like talking about the Terrans, like this is the big, probably of all things, this is the big thing Earth Spark is dropping in here, which is a, a, I'm sure someone could dig up an instance where this has happened in some way before, but I think this is by far the most focused notion of a an Earth-born uh, Transformer uh, that has ever happened, to the point where it's it's one of the only times where I'm starting to be okay with them using the word Transformers in a show, because these aren't Cybertronians. It still feels a little bit weird, but like... Yeah, my go-to has always been to call them Cybertronians, just, that's how my brain works, but these ones are literally not. Uh... And and uh, it's such mm-hmm. a cool idea. Um, like, there's some kind of Quintus Prime thing going on. So, also, that means whether... I don't think it's going to be full-on space magic, but there is a 13 Primes thing going on, which is, I think, leading more in the direction of, of incomprehensible technology versus magic robots. Um, but, uh, we yeah, we, we have this whole notion of Terrans. At the end of, the ser- of, of this first batch of episodes... We also suddenly have a full Sentai team of Terrans. There's not just two. Now there are five, mm-hmm. uh, which got me so hyped, particularly because the three new ones had very distinct bodies. And I was like, oh, they're sticking, ar- they're sticking around. This is a thing. And then I find out Nightshade has like a portrait on the back of the deluxe boxes. I'm like, Terrans are sticking around, baby. Okay. We're- <laughs> I-, I also really like it because it is, it is not like a third faction so much as it is just a third entity. Uh, it's like what I really liked about the, the mm-hmm. IDW ver- version number two, when you had so many spinning plates of characters who were not so much factions, just like players who were not Autobots or Decepticons. And the Terrans are really representing that to me, especially with all the seeds laid of like ghost and, and the fact that the Autobots are not necessarily a safe haven. The like the Autobots themselves are having to hide things from ghost for the sake of the Terrans. Uh, and, and to cap it all off, a lot of the slice of life episodes were about the Terrans figuring out how life works in a way, which just, it, especially for a kid's cartoon, like it's, it felt really good to me. It, it really worked out. And, uh, and then hashtag jawbreaker and nightshade bringing in just a, a lot more, you know, very, very briefly, they're only in here in for about an episode and a half. Right. But like they bring in some good vibes, obviously nightshade. We finally have a non-binary Transformers character who is explicitly they them, which is like, as has been said by many people, it's kind of funny that it took this long <laughs> in hindsight, uh, especially with, you know, like the, the long running thing of like, well, wouldn't they be, wouldn't Transformers be asexual by nature that way back in the day I was very much all into, uh, and obviously some of the very funny, um, YouTube stuff that's bounced off out of that. Anyway, the Terrans, uh, are just, obviously, yeah, they're a linchpin. Uh, TJ, you were saying, like, there was a lot of freshness to Earthspark. I, I would assume the Terrans are bringing a lot of that for you as well. I mean, yeah, absolutely. Uh, just 
with with Twitch and Thrash, like seeing two Transformers kind of growing up in a completely different environment with more humanistic trends than uh, than like your typical Cybertronian. It's it's making some interesting characters. You know, it, it's you know mm-hmm. like when the when I see people relating to Twitch because of how hyperactive she is you know where she you know where is you know is the uh like adhd coded type character and like that's not something you've approached with a transformer before you know and like just mm. you know and i see a lot of people that can actually relate to just like the way she can either hyper fixate on something or bounce around from one thing to another just depending on uh what's catching her attention uh yeah, and then yeah. no. I was going to throw in there something else that I just realized that also makes this really just cool is like one of the first things a lot of the grumpier type fans will will, will throw in is like, well, why would an alien robot X, Y, and Z? And it's like, okay, well, these ones aren't aliens now. Like they are literally, mm-hmm. they are somewhere in between. Like I, I just, mm-hmm. there's so much cool stuff. Not to say that that was ever a, like really a valid argument. It's just, it's really, it's so cool to like lean in. I feel so hard on like earth-born transformer and not have it be like yeah they yeah. were built on earth and now they're an autobot it's like no no they are earth born yeah. it's it's very cool sci-fi stuff to me yeah because we yeah cause it's not just that but we also don't know like what magic juju is in there because the kids were there as part of their their creation right. process you know we don't know if that's some of yeah. that what is that uh um is that the the aliens, the xenomorphs, where supposedly they take characteristics of something you never see again later, but supposedly they take the <laughs> characteristics of their hosts uh, and and make that part of their future makeup. You know, who's who's to know? Like, are are they childlike because they respond off of children, or are they like something different because of the children? Or are there cool wrist bracelet things something to do with it too, other than sharing feelings in a weird way? It is part of it might even just be how a Cybertronian naturally like is born in the first place. Like this is the like the earliest we the only time we've seen it faster than this is, you know, Beast Wars, where like fresh out of the pod they're right into the fight. You know, this mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. this kind of awkwardness and, and even in Beast Wars, like there's either uh, extended stories or implications that they are not like fresh born transformers. Like this is like a like a like a long like a long term like uh, hibernation m- method for like long distance mm-hmm. travel or something we've seen. But, you know, so that's that's the closest we've ever gotten to this in the past. It may literally just be the way they're, uh, you know, acclimating to their uh, environment. You know, not only like the like the influence between uh, Mo and Robbie because we know they're emotionally bonded. That's the whole running theme of the series. But it's it's just also just the environment they originally grew up in. There is no war. There are no factions mm-hmm. they have to worry about. It's just about as normal as a transformer has ever been. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, the only other time we've seen, I think, anything remotely close to this has been the beginning of IDW2, you know, the birth of rubble and seeing like, what's it like to be born in a Cybertronian society that is not in the midst of a civil war? Um, Although although this is this is like hitting even more sci-fi vibes to me just because it is like this whole thing of it's like some kind of Quintus Prime, like 
almost experiment and gift and just like I just want our I want to see what happens. We're gonna have the Ember Stone here. Uh, humans will will cause the birth of of uh, either the birth or reawakening of, of operatives who are here. Um, and and so many cool little things. Like I was just remembering the part where they need water. But also they register having energon levels, but the energon levels that they have are borderline irrelevant to their life functions. And like, it was a little, I, I really liked that bit because it was like, this is actually slightly creepy in a, in a neat way. Like there's like this unsettling nature to how they work. Um, when, uh, when, when Bumblebee is like, like, you know, doing readings on them going like, Oh, why are you guys freaking out? And I, uh, I like that idea too, especially because Twitch and Thrash are so inherently unthreatening. And so the, I always like the juxtaposition of like unthreatening characters with like incredibly threatening, like, um, biologies and, and life functions that don't quite make sense. Uh, and obviously now that there's three more Terrans, like maybe there will be a bit more of that even going forward. Like, who knows? Uh, such cool potential in all of this. Um, anyway, uh, well, Going off of that, TJ, was there any any character or moment that that stuck in your head that you wanna you wanna highlight? Um, I'm tr I'm trying to th I'm trying to think if there's any like one that really well I mean, a lot that stood out, but like any one thing to potentially bring up is I just lost my cheat sheet. What am I doing? <laughs> I I have a quick. That's one. all right. I came into this without a cheat sheet. <laughs> I, I just have a TF wiki page open and my memories. <laughs> You stole but, my cheat sheet. I have I have a quick one because there's not much to this, but like I I feel like I saw either you or someone else saying you had. The, I know a bunch of people told me they had the same thing. Remember that moment when we see the gulag and we see Soundwave escaping and we see mm -hmm. we see a Starscream step out from the shadows and that Starscream starts laughing and you go like, hey, wait a second, hey, wait a second, and then almost like it was a dramatic note in the credits, Starscream, Steve Blum. And you're like, oh no, that was that laugh. Oh no! <laughs> it was such a cool moment. To, like Steve Blum, mm -hmm. Steve Blum's name in the credits basically being a dramatic beat of like, oh, you are you hired us, you hired a professional Starscream who is going to do some terrible things, I suspect. Uh, yeah, his second turnaround as a character, like, that that's fun. That's interesting. God, that that whole prison scene in general. Let me let me like like just like get one more thought out about that. There's something like really interesting to me that just like speaks to the vibe of this show, where that is like the big dramatic like dark side of like the Autobot system. Like you know, where like Optimus is secret of this. He's speaking in hushed tones about it. Uh, and, like, the music is just, like, foreboding. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, at the same time, like, it's what we do to our humans who keep breaking the law and causing trouble. Like, it's basically what we do. Uh, so it's interesting to me that, like, after years of, like, action hero, give me your face Optimus Prime, here we have Prime where it's like, I really wish I didn't have to imprison them. Like, okay. Okay, that's... Yeah, that's interesting. Empathy in character writing is so valuable. I feel for the sake of having a, an engaging fiction like this, uh, you even just to bounce off that, you even get that a bit in Megatron because, like, I I like how uh, how much Megatron is put in this position of discomfort 
and and sort of a, a, a relatable discomfort that that folks may or may not even have from real life of like having to tell people like listen just do follow the rules and you won't get in trouble because i don't want you to get in trouble and mm-hmm. it's like you know being basically like gritting your teeth and telling people you've got to adhere to the system uh even if i feel this system is inherently unjust and like there's some some cool stuff in there that also it just feels so Megatron, you know, the, the core of almost every Megatron to some degree is revolutionary, even if it's like, you know, um, narcissistic politician revolutionary in IDW2 Megatron. Uh, I, I say some of this also just because having seen some of the folks on writing staff, I'm like, there's there's like talent in there that I know can seed in some of these really basic ideas uh, in natural flow kind of ways. And I'm excited about about where some of those seeds can go. You see, all in this, you put Steve Blum's name in the credits and just have him go ha 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 for like five seconds, and you get this much <laughs> chatter bouncing off of that alone. <laughs> uh, it makes I, it I, makes me happy when when like a, a new voice, like well, a new new to the franchise voice actor can take a take up a a role that iconic, and people are excited when he gets to do it again. That's that that's an accomplishment for me. I should also shout out because I did pop a little bit when I saw his name in the credits for Swindle's big episode. Uh, when I when I noticed it, Nolan North playing both Swindle and his brother Hardtop, uh, just dropping mm-hmm. some classic Nolan North uh, voice performance uh, ability. Like this, they got they got a good cast for this one. They got <laughs> they got a solid cast for this one. Uh, but uh, yeah, TJ, um, giant bomb finally give up on the Northies. Yeah, well, I mean, Nolan North, Nolan North's moment, like it, it peaked right with the with the Saints Row game, where like one of the voice one of the voice options was just Nolan North as Nolan North. Uh, mm-hmm. And I, I'm kind of glad we're past that era now because like now Nolan North roles are just like oh it's it's um, uh, voice actor of talent Nolan North. Nice to hear him again. <laughs> like we don't have to do the bit as much. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry. I'm just looking at this. I'm looking at this cast list. Like I have, I have, I have bullet points on my head. But uh, TJ, were you going to bounce to one um, off of that that prison tangent, or shall I shall I grab another? Um, I can bounce. I can bounce off of that if I want to talk about Soundwave a little bit. Yeah, because that was a cast of characters sort of out of nowhere. Um, I, mean, I mean, it's Soundwave. Like, how could it not be? It's just Soundwave sometimes. In other fictions, the cast that comes with Soundwave have been relegated to animal noises. So, you know, we we got, granted, some animal noises, but, like, we got animal emot- emoting as well. Uh, we got a whole ass frenzy. And they, were, and they were independent. Yeah. More so, like, normally it's like, hey, you're my you're my toadies. You, you do what I tell you to do. Versus this, where they were like, you, like, we're listening to what you're saying, but we're not, you know having to do what you say we should do yeah well and and they were very much like uh you know they were rowdy youths who were trying to get through to the boss and and then ravage mm-hmm. was was still buying into the message and and uh, frenzy and laserbeak were like no we don't want any more of this <laughs> we don't we don't want to get we don't want to get thrown in the gulag uh but yeah Soundwave. uh a, what a design, in my opinion. I know there's some back and forth about it. It's just, I, it's, I think it's a striking design. Um, I'm even, I'm even okay with the blue faceplate, although it feels odd. It feels untextured, but I think that that's just mimetic memory of sound waves 
past. Like, it doesn't not work for me. But, like, Soundwave has a hella design, in my opinion. Uh, Considering that we've had Soundwave with no face, I, I think it's fine for him to just have blue face. Yes, yes, absolutely. Also, the... I'm just looking at Soundwave has hella crotch face. I think that's on purpose. Go look at a picture of Earth Earthspark Soundwave. That's an entire Soundwave visor and faceplate on his crotch. <laughs> it's real Gurren Lagan. I think that's on purpose. Yeah, that, that's the, that's that's what was coming. That was what was coming to my mind. Like the shades. Yeah. Uh, why'd you do that? I just noticed. Uh, it. <laughs> Why did you have to now? <laughs> That's his real face. <laughs> the decoy part is the head. <laughs> okay, that'll haunt me for a while. Anyway, uh, no, I, I'm into the sound wave. I, I love like talking about things I have not seen in Transformers before. Like not never really expected a scenario where where Soundwave and Megatron would not only be at odds but actually like throwing punches at each other. Yeah. Like, that was yeah. that was always that like the like Soundwave is always like the one loyal. If I don't have Lugnut around, Soundwave is the loyal Decepticon. Like and just it was it was weird in like a very cool way. To just like see make like Soundwave turning everything he had against Megatron for once, just to turn like that blind loyalty into like just like the utter betrayal that he has to feel, like devoting himself that mm-hmm. much to Megatron, and then he sides with the enemy. Yeah, it, it makes me really mm-hmm. want to know again with with the you know the Battle of the Bay and that that unknown history where Soundwave was in that. Uh... Because there's a lot about Soundwave that, like, there's, there's a lot of uh, of enigma to it. Because a lot of what Soundwave actually says in regards to feeling betrayed is mostly that Megatron is upholding Optimus Prime's gulag, whether he knows about it or not, pretty much. Like, that, that Decepticons are getting disappeared. Uh, and, and that, like, Megatron is perhaps having more of a hand in it than he thinks he is by, by being so inactive about it and so proactive in chasing down other Decepticons. And like, I just like that, that Soundwave is not like full on. I'm now the leader of the Decepticons or like, I'm real mad that we're not out doing murders, but like that there's something, something more visceral in there, something more personal. And I, I, I like, I like the vagueness of it. Um, I'm just also going to say the one step, uh, flip changer or spark Soundwave. Currently the only toy of the Soundwave explicitly has, the crotch face painted in. He's now just looking the... for crotch faces. I said, I was curious. I was like, they don't put much paint on those one step toys, but they did put in the second red visor. So, Hey, <laughs> good stuff. Uh, also the frenzied friggin' fresh, fresh cassette bot design. Uh, very, very cool design. Uh, I also really like that Frenzy is purple. I think Nick Roche pointed that out. We should also call out, because it's, you know, it almost deserves its own thing, but like Nick Roche, friggin', you feel it. You feel the Nick Roche permeating through a lot of the design work in here. Not the only designer, but like, you, you can tell there's a lot of Nick Roche. But uh, Nick Roche pointed out on Twitter that Frenzy is very specifically purple. 
which is what you get when you mix red and blue together. <laughs> so, so is this now another color uh, descriptor that we're going to get on toys? Oh no, no, it's just you know, it's it's both. This is when you decide to do red and blue to go with the the rumble. Yeah. Okay. Well, this is frenzy, and now all of the other ones are rumble. This is frenzy. Was like, I'm done with this this silliness. I'm done with this nonsense. <laughs> I'm 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 waiting I'm waiting for the acronym version of like frenzy frenzy is red rumble is blue unless earth spark then frenzy is purple. It's uh rumble is blue it just rumble is red frenzy is purple, enemy is both. It's enemy is blue and red, but differently blue and red. This is going to be the new chugger alerts or whatever. <laughs> I mean, we got it. Still trying to say that we're in the chug era of toys. This is how we distract them and get them away from all of that. Like we got to give them, <laughs> we got to shake a new bone. It's 2022 <laughs> and people are still talking about it. Like, oh, there's one grand era that everything fits into. It's like, all right, we got to we got to wag a bone over here or something. Like, hey, look, we got purple frenzy now. <laughs> we can make whole acronyms about this. Uh, but uh, yeah, like like. Uh, that frenzy design was that not knowing about about uh, the new frenzy design uh, until I saw the episode. I was just like, "Yo, we got some cool stuff going on here." Um, I I think Soundwave will get a warrior class at least, but Frenzy, Laserbeak, and Ravage sadly fall into the realm of like, I'm not going to hold my breath for good toys of them, and it makes me really sad. <laughs> They're just small enough that I don't. They're just small enough and not Terrans that I don't think they are going to find a good place in the toy line, and it makes me so sad. Because uh, mm. we, we are we are still in a warrior class deluxe class toy line here. Um, the really good the really good Twitch toy is the same height as the really good Megatron toy. Like it's 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 this thing we got to deal with still. But the better that this show is, much like with Cyberverse, the better one of these shows are under this current toy model. The more the current toy model makes me go like, oh man. Uh, but yeah, um, Soundwave, obviously we're going to see some stuff with, with them, right? Like we ended on a cliffhanger with this dude. So, uh, I'm, I'm curious about that. Aaron, I, I forgot to ask you, how, how are you feeling about, about fresh Soundwave and cassette bots specifically? Uh, I, I got so carried uh, I away mean, with this like face I said, <laughs> Like I said, I was, I was really happy that the, the, the tapes weren't just, you know, ex- direct extensions of Soundwave's will, that they are unique mm-hmm. characters. And while the, like, you know, and and each of them even then, because it was, was it Ravage that turned to follow? I forget. Yeah. I think one of them turned to follow and like Fringy was like, you know, screw this. And then one of the other animals kind of went with her. Yeah, Frenz- Frenzy yeah, and Laserbeak. Probably should, probably should have done a rewatch, like during work today or something. That's all right. I I watched that uh, scene a couple times, partly for the Starscream drop at the end. So I, I remember Ravage was the one who who went with Soundwave. Yeah. So I mean, again, it's you know, it it was nice to see something that again just wasn't a cookie cutter. Directly, it was like, hey, this is, you know, as we've written it and come up with the ideas that we want to say it. Like each of these have their own reason for doing things, and I and I, yeah. I like that when when that actually has has appropriate impact. You know, that's it's you, you know, rhyming with G one is really cool, but 
saying, you know, copying the exact thing isn't necessarily. That makes sense. Well, I, it, going with the cassette bots a little bit more, I also like that they were the ones used to highlight the notion of, like, something that, you know, it's been in Transformers before, like some kind of mode lock, you know, gadget. Uh, mm-hmm. That is kind of screwed up when you think about, like, yeah, we're just going to take these, like, basically Decepticon kids, we're going to mode lock them as bricks and put them in the back of a truck, and it's like... Yeah, it's like that's kind of mm-hmm. worse. That's kind of worse than handcuffs in in multiple ways. <laughs> you you force them to assume the shape of a of a dormant rectangle, and, <laughs> and like that yeah, seems you kind imagine, of a... you imagine imagine the, like, being in a being in like the fetal position, and then you're just like flung into a net. And you're stuck that way, and we're just gonna haul you around like that. Yeah, it's it's stuff that animated touched on. Just the, the notion, you know, like looking at the morality of the Autobots as well. Um, that that was one of my favorite things about animated storytelling. And and uh, this isn't like a direct reference, I don't think, but it's it's just the basic theme, like explore. You know, the things the heroes do are worth critique as well. Um, with and I should say critique without full on deconstruction. Uh, I like I like my deconstructions. Mm-hmm. It's just like that would be probably a bit much for the nature of what our Sparks trying to do. Um. Yeah. So, uh, actually, that's that's uh, that's a plus. Real... It's a good way that they're that it's they're not like you know, especially with you know the gulag and everything. Into this, they're not perfect heroes. Like yeah, you know the idea of like yeah okay well we we got these well yeah they're bad guys and you have you know frenzy at least is is the vocal one of like hey like you know you know prime kind of giving them the like you get out of here you kids i don't want to see you again don't don't do this and yeah you know that's that's different than the good guys always the perfect good guy the bad guys always the guy twirling the mustache unless it's required for a lesson this is more in a gray area but still clear in a kid's cartoon yeah and I, I expect that the, the like you know as far as the conversation about the gulag that the characters may 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 have going forward like the big one obviously is just like what does that gulag do as far as rehabilitation and I think that that's I felt like that was the seed laid with Megatron as far as like the you know any any um, uh, friction between him and Optimus is mostly like how is this how is this helping Decepticons other than just putting them out of sight and making them, you know, we'll put them out of sight and they won't be a problem. Like, you can't, you can do that for a minute. You can do that for a couple days. Eventually, you're doing that for years. And, like, what is the next step? And that that's what, that's another one of the things I'm so excited about with the writing of this, is that they've they've created this very straightforward set of paths that can be chosen that all generally ask that question of, like, what is the, you know, how, how does one rehabilitate the supervillains of an 80s cartoon uh, in a healthy way that doesn't just, you know, create this this awful new normal of like, well, we'll just put them all in boxes. We'll mode lock them and put them. There's <laughs> there's no permanent solution like a temporary solution. Yeah, exact exact. That that's basically I think the real darkness of that gulag scene is like I got the real vibe that that was never that was never supposed to be the permanent solution, but it's also it's been thirty years and, <laughs> and who knows how long some Decepticons have been in there, right? 15 to 30 years. Uh, anyway, that, that, uh, because we, the mode lock thing reminded me, it's, it's worth, there, there's one more Autobot who has been in a lot of the show that's, that's worth covering, I think, before we, we bounce around some more. That would be, uh, Bumblebee, played by Danny Pudi, who has also become quite a voiceover tour de force, in my opinion, on the back of stuff like DuckTales. Uh, 
mm-hmm. kicked ass in this role. Like, just made it work. And also, what an interesting twist on Bumblebee. Uh, he's the Autobot scout. Also, Ghost thinks he's dead because <laughs> he's been in hiding. And uh, and we got this this revisit, and I think, like, full-on actual expansion on the notions from, from RID 2015 of what happens when Bumblebee gets a bit older. He's he's he, this this version of Bumblebee leans into a lot of the we got bits of it in Rid 2015. It's full on here. This is this is early life crisis Bumblebee. This is Bumblebee realizing he's not the youngest generation anymore, but he doesn't know how else to act. Uh, this is Bumblebee being put into a mentor role when he is not equipped for it, and he still thinks he's the kid. And uh, mm-hmm. he's got he's got that. It's not dad jokes. It's worse. It's mid twenties jokes to teenagers. It's a it's a much worse thing than the dad joke. Uh, it's that moment when you realize that uh, there's another generation who are looking at me and saying, "Oh, this guy, this what's this old guy doing?" And you're going like, "I'm only 24." <laughs> uh, so I, I'm I'm really into this this version of Bumblebee. I mean it it also helped that like he clearly also has quite an unspoken backstory. Like when um, uh, Alex was talking about uh, you know the the uh, the collie sticks and the um, the what was it, the walk walk. The thing in the forest. Yep. Mm, uh, yeah, the and, walk walk. Yeah, and then Bumblebee was like, "Oh, you got one of those here? I remember those from my time doing street racing out." And you know, it's like, "Holy crap! Like, what were you up to when you were in hiding?" Uh, so yeah, like Bumblebee has that very uh, um, older but younger than the other older uncles vibe. That is a very specific kind of thing to hit, I think, and also a very a very modern notion, which feels absolutely at home in a kids cartoon made in twenty twenty two. Uh, also his car mode is friggin' sick. It looks gorgeous. And I went to look at the deluxe afterwards and I was like, the deluxe does, does not hit it very as well. It hits some of it, but then like, it doesn't quite hit it the same way. There's something about the, the sleekness of the CG model for the car mode. That's just like, wow, like blew me away. Um, but, uh, yeah, Aaron, um, talking about, about, uh, Earthspark Bumblebee. How are you feeling about this version of the character? Uh, I, I like, uh, what Danny Pudi is doing with the voice of it. You know, it's that, I, I, it, I, I think like you said, it's pretty good. Like early twenties, I was going to say like tweens, but adult, uh, was kind of where my brain went, where it's, you know, uh, yeah, he's, early twenties. <laughs> he, he, he's, he's, he's not just, well, I was trying to think if there was like a, a different thing other than early twenties. Um, but yeah, it's. Like he's trying to play the youthful guy, but you know he's got bodies. Like you know he's put Decepticons in yeah. the ground, mm-hmm. and it's <laughs> yeah, you know, it's not like that. Oh, gee whiz, Optimus Prime! It's like yeah, okay, no. The best way to get you know spark fluid off of you is a little bit of vinegar, and then a little <laughs> bit of kerosene that wipes that right. Spark okay, no spark yeah. fluid is when. When you take your cyber dagger and you jam it through their spark chamber, what comes out is spark. Wait, where are you going? Where you- no, come back here. No, this is an important story for you, kid. Hey, no. hey, fellow. No, wait. Oh, hey, God. listen, kids. Let me just. I, I could tell you. I can tell you how to do some good exercise. I'll tell you how to find things and scout. Also, tell you how to kill a man. It's just simple things yeah. you got to learn at your age. <laughs> yeah, and and uh, I I've liked what they've done so far with the like. You know, it, it feels like Bumblebee is trying to train the Terrans the way that he would have been trained on Cybertron, but 
like as as the teenager going into this war that's required you know like bumblebee was drafted into something and he understood the reason for it so it's not like some vietnam draft dodger thing and this is what Ironhide or whoever back on Cybertron kind of put him through. And now you have these, like the Terrans are like little more than toddlers almost. Like, you know, they're they're like seven or eight year olds and, you know, they're in some ways they're entirely new to this whole world and, and they already have their own things that they want to do. And Bumblebee at least kind of starts it out like, you know, you know, again, and, you know, this is how you shiv someone. You want to do it, like you know, you don't, like, underhanded knife fighting looks neat, but it's a good way to get yourself cut up, too. You want to make sure you have control over it. Now, why do you need to know this? Because? I, uh... You know, I versus like, I... later on, later on when it's like, now teach them whatever, they're like, oh, no, the cows got out. Let's work together to get the cows. And then something critical comes along and then he can go like, okay, well it's serious, serious, serious time. But you know, it, it's like finding, finding that way to connect or the, you know, I, I think that carried on through two or three episodes. Cause he kind of, it seemed like in the, the mm-hmm. like, Oh no, the cattle got out episode. It seemed like he came around, but then it was, what was the one after that was the, um, uh, that was the family house game night. After, yeah. It was the house. Yeah, the family episode. game night one. And then Bumblebee was like, <laughs> games, we can't, I can't do games. And then it was like, Oh, wait a second. Maybe games are the way to do it. Yeah. I, I, so there's I, a little bit of like falls back on cartoon trope of resetting a little bit, but as it went on, at least it seemed more like he was working, working with them to discover what they can do versus no, you need to do, you know, 40 transformer burpees followed by running these CQB drills and then go from there. I like that we both organically arrived without interacting about this whatsoever at the notion that Bumblebee has clearly killed people and is, and is over it. Draft, yeah. Drafted, mm-hmm. I think, that yeah. was the operating verb in my head. Is like he's clearly, he he was drafted in and, he, and that's that's the way he grew up. Uh, mm-hmm. it's, uh, and, and also, um, this, this sort of goes into the family thing. It's it's a very good between Bumblebee, the Terrans, the, the human kids, the human parents, and Optimus Prime and Megatron... It's like one of the the so- soft softly one one of the most surprising representations of a multi generational family of sorts in a Transformers cartoon of like that in, that interaction between the the one decade difference and the two decade difference of age uh, in a way that doesn't feel super rote and specifically doesn't feel so much like it was written by the oldest of all those generations. Um, is this a certain vibe that like it, that's part of also why I enjoyed those slice of life episodes so much. Um, but uh, DJ, how about you? How, how's your how's your take on uh, this Bumblebee? I do like this Bumblebee. Uh, again, I like that he's kind of a mix of an old style and still doing something new as well. Um, I'm not a fan of Bumblebee like like shoved into a leadership role. Because it feels like it is solely his marketability that's putting him there, where character-wise, he's not really a leader type. But this still puts him like at a at a level of authority that is appropriate for him. Like it's a it's a super important mission. He still has this like 
this attitude of like idolize idolization for Optimus Prime and trying to live up to what uh not not like not only to his ideal but also what he you know what he entrusts Bumblebee to do. It's like super important to him because this is a mission from Optimus. Mm-hmm. So it's still that old school attitude of he's still trying to prove himself but yeah, like there's a confident warrior behind it now on top of that. And a warrior who is equally fascinated and bored to death by this role he's in. Like there, there's <laughs> part of me that that had fun watching him and just go, "Oh god, I have to do game night." Oh god. And then like flip forward to like the walk walk where he's like, "Okay, show me that basketball shot and I'll go hunt this thing with you." Mm-hmm. Yeah, the um the one way I would describe that that kind of vibe is like he's he's like he wants to keep doing the thing when he was the youngest Autobot and he was the scout and Optimus Prime was the hero and he wanted recognition, but also that very minor realization to some of his his actions of like of like wait how long have I been occupying that role how long has that been my go to mindset oh no <laughs> how many years have gone by how many years was I was I pretending to be dead. Wait, what year is it now? I have to look after kids. There, are, there are children. Uh, it's and Danny Pudi is also like you know hitting it really. Like I, I said this about about everyone. Like the the voicing in this show is so freaking good. I we talked about the Terrans. It's worth worth bringing up. Like uh, Catherine Kavari and Zeno Robinson kick kicked ass playing characters who also had no uh intrinsic transformers mono mythology to pull from there is no like you know you don't go you didn't you couldn't go and go like i'm gonna go see what the terrans were like in these other series i'm gonna go see where twitch and thrash were in in the mythology of transformers and pull something from there it's like these are completely new things and they felt anything but generic um i was realizing i kept calling out voice actor names but it was after we talked about the terrans uh but uh i was thinking about voice actors now um I, I want to mention uh, Diedrich Bader <laughs> as the su- human supervillain, <laughs> Dr. Meridian, the mandroid. Because uh, th- the last time I heard Diedrich Bader was not that long ago, and he was Batman. <laughs> and <laughs> every now and then I'm hearing bits of the <laughs> I'm hearing bits of the Batman voice, and also it doesn't help that he's had scenes opposite Alan Tudyk, whose Joker has been kicking ass in that same show. Uh, like I, I like the voicing industry we have going on <laughs> right now. But uh, uh, Dr. Meridian, the mandroid, uh, is filling in like a very classic Transformers role, but one that like hasn't gotten a lot of feature to this degree, because we've always had the evil humans. But uh, the last time I feel we had like the real potential for like strong presence antagonist evil humans it was mech in prime and by the end of that series mech had been wholly carved to pieces and uh and silas was was silas breakdown and and it was like mech never got they they very briefly and then had it taken away from them the moment of being like this could be the unifying antagonist uh dr meridian feels like that's that's absolutely where like he was the unifying antagonist of of this half season's finale uh he going by the toy line he clearly is gonna get another arm at some point uh 
And there's there's a, there's a lot of stuff going on with him uh, as far as the unspoken backstory. He knows Alex. He knows the dad. We don't really know how yet. Uh, the, Alex has mentioned he had a colleague who made weird spider robots. Um, and and uh, you, you roll that in with the whole enigma of the Battle of the Bay, and you're like, maybe um, there was a moment where Dr. Meridian could have been a protagonist actor in this. Maybe he did something there that was attributed to Decepticons. Maybe he he did something that escalated problems. Who knows? But uh, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of potential with him, and a lot of it also realized already, uh, which uh, made me. And uh, not only that, but it didn't end with him getting like definitively taken out of action. Like his his friggin' giant walking island crab robot thing got knocked over, but we don't know what happened to him yet. Um. And uh, and I think Diedrich Bader, uh, Diedrich Bader is also like kicking ass with that role. Uh, I very much enjoy the debut of the name Mandroid and how it was not his idea whatsoever, and now that's just what people call him, and he hates it. Uh, mm-hmm. Little touches like that are yeah. Quite I, fun. I, I I did like that how it turned from like no, that's not my name to like oh fine, screw it, whatever. What yeah, <laughs> Mandroid, sure, fine, fine, fine. You're gonna call me the man. You're gonna. No, it's not. It's worse actually. He's not the mandroid. the The best worst part of it is he's Mister Mandroid. <laughs> that, that's yeah. the bit that I really like. It's that little extra <laughs> sprinkle. Uh, also, very much carried by some of that Alan Tudyk performance of like just t- catching that that's his name and then confidently Optimus Prime stating it. Uh, it, was, it was some good stuff. Um, but uh, yeah, mandroid. Uh, Ideally, we'll be seeing some more of him. The Arachnobots, uh, I really hope that we get at least, like, a little a little PVC figurine or something of one of those. They are adorable and horrifying. Um, I feel... Those seem like per- the perfect, like, headmaster, like, animated the headmaster type of, like, I'm just going to go on top of yeah. the body and take it over type of thing. We're, we, if, if we're some, absolutely If some of gonna get that there. sort of body horror thing doesn't happen for like a Halloween style episode or something, we're like, oh, you're wearing a mask. And no, it turns out that like some secondary Autobot was beheaded and is now being puppeted by this thing. And then they have to have some creepy moments. But hey, it turns out that well, the, you can put their head back on and they're fine because it's a kid's show that's yeah, the, not really permanent death. The fact that like... Um, to set this apart from like other adult oriented transformer shows, the fact that he swiped an arm from a character and that character survived it already speaks volumes to like them getting to do some fun stuff with this. Cause like his whole thing is I'm going to take your body parts and put them on me. And those Arach- Arachnamex, they're absolutely designed for either co-opting Frankenstein to transformers body parts or doing a grand gut tie together. Uh, and like having like 20 of them just form a humanoid shape. It's going to be one of the two. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm here for both, uh, but uh, also I feel awful every time they get killed because because they are much like the the B ones from Star Wars they are human they are anthropomorphized just enough to make me go like oh they're kind of adorable though when they're just doing their thing oh and you just stepped on one oh you just splattered one on your chest oh you just ripped one oh no but they're <laughs> stop killing them they're so cute and <laughs> intimidating. Uh... <laughs> But uh, yeah, I was just catching on the TF Wiki notes. Apparently, at some point, Ant Ward uh, stated uh, that Mandroid is considered to be a Doctor Archiville spiritual successor. Obviously, that's the original evil human in Transformers. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm 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 into this. Uh, TJ, how about you? How are you feeling about 
me and Aaron kind of went on there. How are you feeling about uh, Mandroid and the Arachnomex? Um, I'm enjoying them for what they are so far. Uh, like Arachnomex, just—I mean, it—it's—it feels very like Scraplet to me. It feels very much like um, we're we're dealing with like a lower grade threat than we are in most Transformers series. So this is something for human characters and our Terrans to whack around easily. Um, hmm. but you're right. You're right. They have this like this weird like subtle bit of personality to them. Like like uh like whether they're they're dancing to prove to Twitch and Thrash they're like, oh no, 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 you must have been mistaken. These things are harmless, you know. You know, versus them like getting like like in, like like when like uh when Mandroid gets upset and like all of them just like shut up at the same time. Yeah. Like, th- there there's enough personality to make me go, okay. Alright, alright. They're they're they, they are amusing me. They are entertaining to me. Mandroid himself is... I'm looking forward to how he develops, because he fully admits he has to become... You know, like, like, like in order to, like, fight them, I have to become like them. And mm-hmm. we've seen him... We've seen he has this obsession with trying to remove arms. He's, he's looking for an extra arm or an upgrade arm. Um... Uh, you could tell a really fascinating like story behind that where like he has to become the thing he hates in order to fight it. And like I'm I want mm-hmm. I really want this like I'm looking forward like final stage Mandroid where he's literally just like just a Frankenstein transformer. Uh yeah, Shipathesius Mandroid when there's like how much of him yeah. is even left. Yeah. Right, right. <laughs> He's just just a head in a jar in the chest. Ooh, that's what his bots end up becoming. He ends up just a head in a jar in a bot, in one of his little spider bots. Oh, that's that's fi- that's like post final stage. That's epilogue version Mandroid. I think that's uh, that's after his big story. If he's not yeah. the big bad by the end, that's mm-hmm. that's yeah. like post. That's post it, that yeah. season. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, it doesn't. Yeah, it's it's one of the it's one of the spider bots. It doesn't have a, the visors on it. It's just like a glass. Just like a glass bubble with that's with that's how you get your spider bot gatai though. Mm. See, I'm, I'm I'm genuinely wondering, like, if he can make things that are genuine threats to transformers, why is he bothering with stealing parts? Uh, start. I think I think it's uh, partly starting small. Partly uh, wants to he wants to make himself personally as powerful first. Like that's that whole I want your your bits and pieces. Like I gotta I gotta be able to stand up to one of you in a fist fight. Uh, I gotta make myself feel strong. Um, yeah, because because since he's got that robot arm, he can then get like a Megatron's fusion cannon. Because that he was going for that, wasn't he? he yeah, he yeah. was going for that arm. He was going for the yeah, he's going for the right arm. Yeah. So you know that's that's where it comes down to. Maybe there's still some of the like the Transformers magical superpower things where like Megatron's fusions cannons just the gun. And you know he wanted to know if he could do it minus the gun. It was and doing some work. The gun, yeah. It right, like, but like... is it? That's that's the question of like, is that just 
what a fusion cannon does or is that like well no megatron's special spark gimmick is that he has that the way that i bet there's you know, uh... g1 autobots have like glass gas or mirage with his mirages that's the, the whole I mean, movie trailer thing cons- that has Kristen very upset that that's not jazz <laughs> then we have to go take our medicine again Considering that like Megatron's fusion cannon is tapping into a black hole, yes, that's a little bit more than I think human tech yeah. could replicate or control. It, it, it's also the symbology, probably. Um, but it seems like the the right the folks writing this seem like the folks who would who would tap into this notion of like taking Megatron's fusion cannon and wielding it is also symbolically like asserting your dominance over some of these robots from from another planet. Yeah. Uh, which, uh, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm curious to see what final form Mandroid looks like. Um, I, I just remembered it's worth calling out. Quintus Prime just has a bit of voiceover, but we were t- I was talking about Silas before. Clancy Brown, also from the Prime cast, back in here as, mm-hmm, as Quintus mm-hmm. Prime. Um, might have been a one-off, might have been a one-off, but it was kind of cool to hear good old Clancy Brown in Transformers again. Uh, Clancy Brown is another another one of those voices you just like to hear. Um uh, but yeah, um, the, the Mandroid, the Mandroid Arachnomech thing, I also like that the threat of them is primarily a threat when you walk into his warehouse. I kind of like that that's, that's like sort of the caveat is like, you walk into a warehouse, you walk into a situation where you think that you're not surrounded and then there's like 50 of them around you. And I like that that's, that's kind of, that's, that's the justification for how the, they're able to, to execute, right? Is, oh Yeah. Yeah, you can't, well, yeah, you, like you that's... can't just get jumped by like one of them, but like you walk into his warehouse, there's like a hundred of them on the ceiling, and they all drop on you. Then it's like, oh, that's like that's how he's able to intimidate like uh, Skywarp and Nova Storm. That's how he's able to take you know put Megatron on the table. Uh, is uh... yeah, like it's uh like yeah, it's arcade from Marvel, where like mm-hmm. you have to walk into Murder World for him to be yeah. a threat, but once you're there, like yeah, like you're in a lot of danger. Yeah. Um, also there was that thing that I felt like, I felt I didn't really get a resolution to yet, um, in the early episodes where it seemed like he had like a, he was able to control hardtop bombshell shrapnel and skull cruncher. Like it, it, it felt like hardtop specifically was, was like, cause I mean, he, he said it in a way where you're like, oh, is he just saying that? Right. But it, it felt like hardtop's actions were not necessarily his own when he was like part of the crew who was uh, fighting in that in that early episode. It felt like Bombshell, Shrapnel and Skullcruncher were kind of under the heel and it didn't feel like it was the same as Skywarp and Nova Storm. Like it it felt almost more like a Cerebro Shell situation. Uh, and I, yeah. I don't think we mm-hmm. really got a definitive answer on that yet. But that's another thing to keep in mind with Mandroid. Um he seems to have access to something that he can stick in your brain to make you do stuff. Um, which conveniently also means that Bombshell, Shrapnel, and Skullcruncher didn't have to actually say anything. Uh, they just got to show up and go like, hey, look at the cool look at the cool pulls we're doing for characters. <laughs> um, but uh, I, have, I, have a, I, have, I still have a list of things I want to bounce into. Um, but before I do that... Um, did you guys have anything else that was that that you have we have not hit yet? Uh, my my list is primarily based around episodes nine and ten. I should say, uh, there's a couple other things too, but like I, I have a lot. I'm chomping at the bit to get into that action sequence slash action se- action sequences. Go, boy, howdy! The slice of life episodes also were for the sake of a little bit of that good old fashioned uh, uh, physics of balance because. 
I have talked about many times after after the the tour de force animation wise that was Netflix Castlevania, uh, Powerhouse Animation Studio just drop they drop some real bombs, uh, non derogatory as far as delivering action sequences in the way that I like them, uh, the specific rhythms and flavors, and and some of the stuff in Earth Spark when they get the action going, especially in episodes nine and ten was on the level of Powerhouse Animation Studios, in my opinion, on at least as far as the animatics. Uh, that animatic that was shared about the, the, the one-take, quote-unquote, scene of the, the, the Maltos, like, fleeing as a huge fight is going on around them. I think it was mentioned that they were trying to, trying to, trying to hit some of the energy of the 2007 uh, Michael Bay Transformers film, which you, know, you can totally see it, but it felt mm-hmm. better than that to me. And we had a similar scene with uh, Thrash taken on... Um, uh, Mandroid's like giant walking crab island tank thing, uh, like like mm-hmm. again another like kind of one take upshot tracking. Just watching this character run, duck, run, get out of the way of stuff, shoot back, like so well executed. Uh, b- bouncing off this other related things. A lot of times we got these effects. I put the call out on Twitter. I still honestly don't know. I think it could be either way, where it's a three D animated show, but sometimes the VFX, the special effects looked hand-drawn it could have been a cel-shaded filter but some of the granularity to the motion on those things felt hand-drawn to me if at least vector hand-drawn in digital before being transferred over i would love to know definitively from the folks who worked on this like how some of that stuff worked and that stuff also felt like powerhouse animation studio knowing when to briefly cut to black just have a white flash of of effect across the screen to communicate something flash back in get back to the action I can't even call out a specific moment because there were so many of them. Twitch deploying mm-hmm. the swords to cut the cannon off the thing. Uh, Megatron's fusion cannon unleashing what looked like a 2D animated laser beam at times. Uh, the whole moment when Megatron alt mode drops, to, fusion cannon drops to the floor uh, and freaking Optimus Prime transforming out of the way of an attack uh, doing a spin flip with the axe, using the axe in a specifically non-chopping way. Uh, the, the I, There's so much good stuff action-wise in this show. Um, I used to call out Transformers Prime for this all the time. Transformers Prime had an infinitely bigger budget than the show, as far as I can tell. Uh, and I think that the quality of the storyboarded moments are stronger in Earthspark. They are hitting that level I get from Powerhouse Animation Studio, that level I get from, in live action, Koichi Sakamoto. These rhythms and ideas and moments played out in visual storytelling that are so inventive and cruxed on the fiction uh, environment that is being used in, in the situation. I, I, I've rewatched parts of those episodes so many times because the action was so good, and I have longed for Transformers action in animation to hit that level and i felt like oh my god we're here like we found a crew that can do it with a 2022 budget uh and i'm Mm -hmm. so hoping we get some more of that going forward anyway that's yeah that's been on my mind i was gonna say to the the very first part in 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 your your ramble there um i i did want to say i also liked the we're fleshy vulnerable human meat bags in the middle of this giant robot fight Mm -hmm. part that I think what did it Mm -hmm. better than 
I think even the Transformers movie did was that I it held longer with the people and had yes more like it's the people in the middle of this. It wasn't we see robot backflip and then you know seventeen frames of Shia running with exploding kibble around him and then robots doing a barrel roll into a backflip and then six frames of Shia doing things. It very much held on the, we're trying to get out of this insanity of death that could happen at any time while then also seeing the insanity of death that was happening Mm -hmm. about and around them. And it's, 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 it's one of those things. It's always amazing how it's, just the the slightest kind of tweak to it makes it feel more impactful. You felt more of the danger of the humans in the middle of this fight rather than just like, I don't know, somebody loaded a bunch of foam up into some mortars and fired it nearby these people. Yeah. Yeah. We're not hitting bullet points. Yeah. I, I think it also helps that they waited so long before they hit that moment. You had nine and a half episodes to build up mm-hmm. that and you're just the attachment to that family and just knowing how in over their heads they are in the situation. Cause in, in even in live action movies, they do those scenes they did in the Bumblebee movie too, but it's generally a, a very like in your face, like, you know, you know, early earlier on about like this is how like overwhelmed uh, this uh, unfortunate human protagonist is. Yeah, and uh, and I think also something specifically for Dot for uh, for Dorothy is it the way that she fled was like and and Alex as well. If you watch about halfway through, Alex like once he gets un unfreaked out by everything, the two of them exhibit an enormous amount of strength in the way they flee, if that makes sense. Like this, the way that it was blocked, the mm-hmm. look in their eyes, like they are, they are not like, they're not like insects running on, can't comprehend what's happening behind them. They know precisely what's happening behind them and they are getting the hell away from it. Uh, and, uh, and Aaron, to, to some of the stuff you were talking about, lingering on the shot and keeping them framed. It's, it's like, oh, I've talked about this with the Bumblebee movie. It's basic visual storytelling uh, that that sometimes just gets lost somehow among, amongst the way that that professionals are trying to deliver these stories, and they have they have they they are put in situations where it's like no, just make noise, make visual noise. Th- these sequences are like these are professionals, creative professionals in an industry who are executing their skill set. The, those little things are skill set. Those are intentional. You frame the people. You keep the shot on them so that our eyes are going on the journey with them. You make the robots fighting mm-hmm. in the background. You make that fight something that we can visually follow still. And you roll it in the tapestry of the action that we're seeing. That's also such a huge thing about that sequence is that the Transformers fighting in the background were not uh, a chaotic noise. Like, like they always are in the live action uh, Michael Bay films when, when shots like this are done, where at best mm-hmm. you're focused on a human who is running away from chaos. In this case, they are not running from chaos. They are running from controlled, executed chaos, if that makes sense, because you can see mm-hmm. everything that's happening. And it's such an important difference. And, and it's getting into the realm of you kind of have to know a little bit about how the sausage is made to identify some of that stuff. 
by by words, but it's so important to highlight it so that we can all, as fans of this stuff, speak to what we like and what works for us without without um uh, uh how do you put this pumice stoning all the granularity off of off of the points we're making or even worse rolling in stuff like some of the more chaotic michael bay shots is like oh it's just like that because it's like it's like it resembles it but it's better don't don't insult it by going like oh it's just like the the michael bay shots because it's like there is mm-hmm. there is yeah, uh, pacific rim was this for me too like it's <laughs> yeah it, it it's like they they saw that and went hey this is uh that there's meat on this bone let's find let's find the way to actually use it versus you know just parroting it you know it's yeah this is a a good thing to do for the story to show these people in here we've seen how not to do it let's you know think about it filmatically and you know, it's probably a thing where since it's CGI animated, they probably had the ability to do a bunch of different versions of cuts to see which one feels the best, which I'd hope that live action movie film could do something similar. But here we are. What, what kind of blew my mind about that animatic that got shared was like that it was like a 2D animatic and a 3D animatic and it was so mm-hmm. cool. Mm-hmm. I was like, I was like, I didn't realize that like that is how tightly fused all of that technology and skill set can be. And it, it just made me so much more impressed by everyone working on the show that like, this is people just working to their full ability with production value to back it up. And, and in a thing I like a lot, it, it was such a cool moment. And to, to flow right off of that into a, into a character, it was the perfect time to, to show us what this sky warp is because sky warps teleportation act, action sequences require this level of competence. Uh, mm-hmm. cause it's not just, Oh, sky warp teleports. It's like, what if sky warp teleports? But like, like we'll hearken back to how intense and how much of a heart pumping industrial song almost it is. Uh, when sky warp goes, bum, 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 like teleport through and, and it, it resembled a whole lot of what I loved about a sequence in, in Castlevania when there was uh, just like this unnamed vampire with a, a Mjolnir hammer who could throw it and teleport to, to catch it, basically. And it, it created this astonishing action sequence. And I felt there were notes of that in the Skywarp action sequences. And that is an absolute compliment when I say that. Like, oh, man. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and then to boot, Skywarp and Nova Storm as literal twins it absolutely works. Like you don't have to go into oh why, you know, how it's just like, no, it's this Skywarp and Nova storm are, are like, uh, re- like renegade mercenary chaos twins. Uh, one of them teleports a lot. The other one probably is nuclear in some way. <laughs> uh, Oh, it was so cool. Um, so yeah, I, I, I got, I got most of my, most of my brain meat out about that, but Oh man, it's so good. Uh, we, we again that's another part that got set really well the tone got set really well in episode one with a fight scene between elita one and uh hardtop and swindle mm-hmm. where everything in that was so fluid and choreographed so well there wasn't any like there's there's moments set up in that where i didn't feel like the setup and lead up to it was hokey or like or any kind of contrived it felt if it felt like well choreographed, like we're going to get to this point where these two are in this, like 
this box of cargo containers with Elita One just kind of gloating over them. And then let's work mm. back from there to figure out how she's actually going to beat him up into that position. And it just blends so smoothly. Like some of my favorite action sequences I've seen in a Transformer cartoon. I'm not I'm like I'm not even like going like I'm not making any like uh comparison to that. I'm not like qualifying that. That is just this straight up honest. Absolutely agree. I, I can't think of better action sequences that hit me this hard short of the sheer production value of some of the ones in Transformers Prime. But oh, the more I think about it, a lot of the Transformers Prime ones were just, they were good animated action sequences. These took it one extra step of being good animated Transformers action sequences with so much production value behind them. Uh, and it's not to denigrate other shows. It's just that it is so intense and modern in 2022. Uh, the the kind of good vibe I got out of this. Um, and it's worth noting also, like, Alita 1, I, I, just, to, just to throw in two more uh, connections here with the threads, Alita 1 and RC, the decision to go, like, what if the two pink robot women are just, like, uh, the, the powerhouses? What if they're the heavies? What if, <laughs> what if they just uppercut what if they uppercut fools? What if they drop axe kicks? It's like, all right, I dig it. The friggin' reveal on RC, when I realized, I was like, I wonder what this car is. I bet this is a Transformer. Wait, this color palette. No, no way. You got her a good normal car mode? <laughs> I, was, I was so happy. I was, I was like, this RC feels like the one that the the bulk of my of my general vicinity in this fandom has been going like please please just design rc to have car parts on her okay P can we just make our rc a normal transformer and it's like hey earth spark here we did it <laughs> same thing for alita <laughs> one basically like they are just good designs and they got away from all the nonsense uh and all the all the legacy garbage that makes makes the attempts to go like well rc needs to have needs to be a featureless robot with a giant backpack it's like okay what if she doesn't though what if, she, what if she's just a transformer now? Uh, they like you know obviously they didn't have tons of screen time. RC ostensibly had more screen time than Alita, oddly enough. Uh, but uh, also Wheeljack, another another character. They, they're all so intensely designed, capital D, that I'm sure we'll see more of them. But like, it was so cool to see these these Transformers characters show up and just be like, hey, this is also just a good design with like a solid voice performance and like just some. Just a nice bit of character. Alita 1 is probably actually the, the weakest as far as, like, the amount of character we got so far. Because I think all we really saw for her is she's one of the heavies and she lifts. And that's about it. <laughs> uh, but, like, uh, RC, we got, she's got that whole thing of the, uh, you know, I'm going to I'm gonna make you do weird stuff. And then when you finally call me out on it, I'm going to go like, ah, you passed the test. Maybe that wasn't a test. Maybe I'm just good at improvising. I don't know. Um but Wheeljack had like those the, the very cute moments of of, uh, of of being like dad too, and it was uh, it was some of that that real. Um, oh, how do you put this? When when you got too much sugar, but it's good, as opposed to when you have too much sugar and it's bad. Uh, like like fresh honey versus okay. a candy cane. Um, okay. You know, it, it was it was like it was so much, and it was it was so sappy, but it tasted good, and I was like, "But also, give me more of this. This can be his entire character." 
Wheeljack just shows up between science experiments and and gets super doted on by uh by daughter Twitch. Uh also I, I know there was a lot of talk about his vocal performance, and I I think it's I think it's definitely the kind of decision where it's gonna work for you or won't, but given his role uh so far, I kinda liked the just soft spoken good old boy voice they got for for Wheeljack. Uh Anyway, yeah, uh, this is this was kind of hitting some of the remaining bullet points here, but um, those those other Autobots, all this other stuff we're talking about. Aaron, uh, how are you feeling about all this? That's, boy, what a cartoon in just ten episodes! Yeah, <laughs> yeah. God damn! <laughs> I get, I just get excited talking about it. I, uh, how? Uh, just rolling back a little bit. Like, how are you feeling about some of these other, like, you know, these one episode, two episode Autobots, etc.? Uh, I, I had hoped for more than what we ended up getting, honestly. You know, mm-hmm. I, I think it's, you know, uh, Wheeljack coming in as other dad, second dad or whatever. Yeah, dad two uh, was interesting, um, you know, since it was, since Twitch was the copy of one of his, like, scanning drone things like that was a neat way to give her a cybertrony ish alt mode and have other connections so you know have have somebody else come in for a thing you know we find out that you know thrash's sidecar shield thing is like somebody else's thing and you could have other like cross pollinations where again you can make it a a bigger world without maybe necessarily having to have it hang really heavy on it. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, um, wor- I use the word, I mean, this is, this is maybe a stretch in this case, but it is in its own way, kind of world building. It's, it's that the, the eventual, the eventual cartoon superpowers, right. That are some of our main heroes mm-hmm. get, they, they lay out completely logical and in-world uh, webs of connections for them. Like, the, yeah, it's the, the mm-hmm. fact that her alt mode is a scan of one of Wheeljack's already glitchy and, uh, as Alita said, you know, like, not, not surprising one would just blow up on its own kind of drones. And it's like, you know, you've inherited all these, like, weird secret functions that Wheeljack put into his drones. <laughs> Turns out you have an EMP gun, by the way. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it, it's, it's, it's cool stuff. Um, yeah, I, I, I am gonna like, I am gonna like add one criticism here to this. All right, um, is yeah, it's just so we know, it's not all love fest. You know, we we can have an objective eye too. Um, is Thrash getting lost in all of this? Is Thrash having like a harder time standing out because we keep talking about Twitch? I don't think we've mentioned Thrash's name yet. Thrash, uh. How do I put this? I think th- the reason why I think Thrash like escaped me a lot throughout this is that like Thrash is t- he's both tied more to the human side of like uh, the the slice of life episodes, and also I think he just straight up didn't get quite as many intense action sequences. Um, I was just yeah. thinking about that. Like with Thrash, a big I think the big Thrash moment to touch on is the Swindle episode, which. Uh, was a, I think it was a really cool episode, but it was, Thrash had the, um, I want my independence, but also what is that to being part of the family unit, uh, moments. And mm-hmm. it's a big character moment that does get lost in the shuffle a bit when you hit episode nine and things just pick up. And 
and uh, and Twitch was the one who got big action moments in episode nine. Uh, so I, yeah, I, I would say it is easy to lose track of Thrash in some of this, which is <laughs> and I feel like not just like we're not noticing Thrash, but I feel like any time that the that you know the four kids of of the the Malto family are there, it feels like Thrash puts himself behind everybody else. It's like the human kids are doing the human kid things, and Twitch is the one that's the the big attention, like the focus of all of that. And Thrash is kind of just like I want to make sure everything works together, and mm. a lot of times those personalities aren't standing up front and 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 drawing attention. They're just there to be social like lubricant not social lubricant but like they're there to like yeah okay well you know twitch needs my help or mo needs my help so i'm going to go help them versus being the one that demands that also twitch twitch is the one who has fluffy ears uh in in her personal canon uh which true true thrash does not have a fluffy ears to to match that quite yet uh and I, I, I was going to say, I think it's kind of a compliment to the show that, like, Thrash... The reason, for me at least, Thrash got a bit lost is because my personal tastes when it comes to action animation is when you when you pull off something like, like me citing the name of Powerhouse Animation Studio, like, that will make me forget about some of the quieter moments. And I think that in a different Transformers show that just kind of carried on and had, like, kind of a little fight at the end of episode 10... I'd probably have been talking up Thrash a lot more. It's just the the sheer action quality of the ending of all that stuff. Like, boy, howdy! And 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 Twitch is the one who who got a lot of the action forefront. I think Thrash's big potential is going to be in the environment of there being three more Terrans, because only having the two Terrans does mean that if we're looking at one, we're not looking at the other. And now we have five of them. Uh, we get into the Sentai environment where. I expect we'll have at least two of them in any given scene interacting, uh, just for mm-hmm. more, you know, more volume of character moments. Um, yeah. I'm I'm hoping like the second batch for the season has like a really good thrash episode. Yeah, uh, like just like a coming out episode for him, because I'm like I've I I the moment I felt bad was uh was the episode with Wheeljack, which I love the interaction with Twitch, but just to see like okay. So Twitch gets uh, Twitch gets force fields and EMP blasts and whatever else Wheeljack wired into that thing. Uh, Thrash gets a shield and a guitar. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just remembered Thrash's entire plot in that episode was primarily off screen for the sake of the punchline that while we weren't looking at him, he learned music, if I recall correctly. Mm-hmm. Uh which I thought was quite funny, but yeah, the Thrash's big episode, I think, was the Swindle episode, which was good. Uh, it's just, yeah, it, it ended up getting overshadowed in my own memory. I, um, I like I like that episode. I kind of wish they hadn't gone with a Decepticon named Swindle for that particular plot. Like, it's quite it's funny. A very swind- <laughs> it's a very Swindle thing to do. It's a very Swindle scheme, admittedly. But also, like, 
it, I, I think it speaks to just how naive they're trying to cast the Terrans to be in those early episodes when the guy that they're going to, the, 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 the guy that he's going to trust is named Swindle. I think I think that's where we really lean into the part where Swindle was primarily interacting with a human child and a robot child who right, maybe right. They, they haven't heard the word Swindle before. So he's kind of banking on like, <laughs> ideally, their personal lexicon hasn't expanded to the point of knowing that my name literally means I'm going to cheat and steal from you. <laughs> uh, I do, though, like the notion that Swindle actually has like, like, not like a devotion, but like Swindle has like a genuine brother connection to Hardtop to the point of going like, I don't like, I don't like that I don't have my brother Hardtop here with me. We run a two-man con. I, I, and also, I like that this is literally the most Hardtop has ever gotten, ever, <laughs> in anything. Oh, it's, it's all Hardtop has gotten. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. It's, it's kind of amazing. You know, like, and... <laughs> It's me, like, for me, yeah, I love a deep Cybertron cut just randomly showing up in the major cartoon. Yeah, like, it's kind of wild that, like, Hardtop matters, and also, this is a big thing, Hardtop matters, and not because he got killed, because that's also kind of a pattern, (laughs) I think, with some Transformers media, is, like, when you go into a super deep cut for something like Hardtop, it's because he got killed, (laughs) you know, but, like, Hardtop, granted, got his arm removed and stolen, but he survived. You know, he's fine. Uh, but uh, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm just really looking forward to seeing what what we get with the Terrans because I have a lot of, I have a lot of confidence in enjoying whatever it is that they do with the Terrans, uh, and especially the fact that the Terrans are being used as far as kid show bullet points here. The Terrans are how we're giving life lessons to the kids ostensibly watching this cartoon. Uh, and I think they've been doing a really good job with a lot of that, and but also with really fun, you know, fantasy twists on them. Like the first day of school thing, but mixing that together with like a, we have a shared emp- empathetic connection that makes the awkwardness of the first day at school exponentially ballooned by all kinds of weird sci-fi things. Uh, is, is very cool. Um, but uh, yeah, I, uh, well, I will do the check-in here. Have we got any other major bullet points that you feel we haven't hit or that you still want to bring up uh, now that we're nearing the two-hour mark? I was double-checking the I time. I think I've oh, talked that's... all of my points. Yeah, that's that, that that's a pretty good, like, that's a pretty good spread of everything. Yeah. Uh, last little one. Pretty cute that WitWiki absolutely works as the name of a weird little town in pennsylvania like i don't even blink mm-hmm. like it actually really sounds like I, i'm like no i'm sure there is a town called witwicky somewhere uh yeah obviously there's going to be bits or, go ahead, good I was, I was, I was just to, just to play off of that i do appreciate uh i do appreciate the easter egg hunt with this with this series where like oh they're yeah. doing something very yeah they're doing something very new with the transformer fiction but they're throwing these little nods in here of self-awareness. Uh, I love, I love that the training chamber has a Unicron difficulty setting. Mm-hmm. That's very cute. That's very cute. Uh, I mean, just just the fact that like folks who have like like knowing Maycat and Masai Singleton were working on this, folks who worked on the writing in in Cybertron, know, knowing or Cyberverse, uh, knowing that Nick Roche was among the character designers, uh, looking up the storyboard artist Matthew Humphreys, seeing that Matthew Humphreys did storyboard revisions on Transformers Prime 
and also storyboarded some like one of my favorite episodes of Rid 2015. Like there are folks who have a storied uh, uh, resume with Transformers and also folks who genuinely love Transformers working on this. And it's and now they have money, too. And it's all coming together in this glorious fashion, uh, right down to all the Easter eggs and stuff. Uh, it's yeah, it, it's fantastic. Um, I, 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 I have I have seen some some very some very you know mixed reception on Earth Spark, and uh, that's that's fine. But generally, like I just I don't I don't comprehend looking at this and, and not at least going like, boy, we we've set we've set a bar for Transformers cartoons again that hopefully sticks. Uh, whether you whether or not you like the content of it, you got to at least admit like the production value behind all of it is something that could power a whole lot of really cool stories to come, uh, or spark or not. And and it's it's such a welcome thing. After how long has it been? Like t- it's like 2015 onwards. It's been like seven years of Transformers cartoons fighting against their budget versus being embraced by by the the company that wants to make good media to to push their IP I guess it's it's so lovely anyway uh thank you all for listening to this podcast by the way this is this is WTF and TFW this is our Earth Spark episode that we're doing cuz Earth Spark came out and I wanted to talk about it uh stay safe out there you know we're hit, we're at the end of 2022 we're about to enter 2023 and uh can't believe 2019 was last year, eh? Oh, hey, oh, <laughs> funny joke still. <laughs> that bit's that bit's actually dead, but but it's a necromancer. But not. Yeah, it actually. But also, it ain't. <laughs> anyway, uh, TJ, Aaron, thanks for joining me, um, and uh, we'll talk to you all later. Take it easy out there. Bye bye. <laughs> Get me, but you got some badass perpetrators and they're here to stay.